It's a blessing to come together and to worship our great, worthy God. As you have your Bible open to Galatians 1, let's start reading in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father, we desire to be servants of Christ and not servants of man. Father, we desire to honor you and bring credit to your name and glory to you. Father, we pray that you would work that out in us, God, in our words, our actions, things we do and say, the things we don't do and don't say, Father, I pray that you would use us. Use this morning as well, God, as we read your word and study together, would you, Lord, work in us to be different, more like this master of ours, Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, we are studying this, the letter of Galatians from Paul to the church is in Galatia. We're studying these urgent words, very urgent, important, critical words that he's writing down in this letter. You remember that Paul had come to the area of Galatia. We're, we're working under that southern Galatia theory. You can listen again or study on your own the northern versus southern Galatia theory. It's not really all that important, except that since we believe the southern part, we believe that he had come to them in his first missionary journey. Shortly after leaving, the people had started to fall for a false gospel brought in by a new group of teachers. And maybe they had come under the pretenses of welcoming the Galatian churches to the faith. This group of men who came to them was impressive. They were probably from Jerusalem the mother church-planting church. They came with uh, impressive credentials. Yeah, I've got a doctor degree. I've written lots of books. I've got a lot of followers on social media. They didn't have that at the time, of course, but those kinds of credentials, right? Most likely, they named themselves apostles. They considered themselves to be the gatekeepers of the church. They said, look, we know who's saved and who's not. What it means to be part of the church. They were very holy men, And all who saw them thought they were very holy men. These men had searched the Old Testament law. They meant for all anybody could see, they were keeping all of them. And they were celebrities. They were well-liked. They were admired. But while they were there in these churches of Galatia, they heard about what Paul had been teaching, and they were offended. How can Paul say that salvation is only by grace through faith? Somebody just goes and gets their ticket to heaven, and then they get to live any way they want. It's licentious. It's disgusting. It's wrong. And that part is true, isn't it? Someone can't just get a free ticket to heaven and then just live any way they want. It wasn't that they were pointing out something that was wrong. They were pointing out something that was wrong and then coming up with the wrong solution. In order to be saved, they said, of course you have to believe, but then you must be circumcised. You must eat what God says and don't eat what God says. For that matter, you have to become just like us. You got to become just like we are, obeying all of the law. We're really saved. Look what we do. 
you must not be saved. Look what you're not doing. God wouldn't have given us all those laws if we weren't able to obey them. And belief equals obedience, they said. Adherence to the law. That is when you are declared righteous before God. That's when you are justified, when you obey his commandments. That's what they were teaching. Now, those people came to be called Judaizers. And Paul is going to refute all of those wrong teachings in this letter of Galatians. But before he does, what he has been doing in the verses before this, verses 1 through 5, is he's been laying the foundation that what he had taught, what he had brought to them when he was there before. In verses 1 through 5, what we see is a gospel in a nutshell. And what Paul's going to do is from this Gospel in a nutshell, he's going to say, now all of this stuff is wrong. Everything that you've heard from these Judaizers is wrong. And the best way, brothers and sisters, to find any way that someone has counterfeited the gospel is to get a really good handle on the true gospel, right? If you're going to find uh, a counterfeit, you don't study all the different ways that something can be counterfeited. You study the real thing, right? So Paul has given us a gospel in a nutshell. There are, in your notes, other gospel in a nutshell passages, Isaiah 52 and 53, that's more of, a, more of a lunchbox than a nutshell. <laughs> and there's so much, so deep in Isaiah that our Savior would be mangled and beaten and we would all think it's because he deserved it, but he was doing it because he was giving us himself to save us from our sins. And God accepted his sacrifice so that even though he would die because of our sins, he would live again and intercede for us. That's just, rep- that's just a terrible summary of Isaiah 52, 13. To 5312. Another gospel in a nutshell passage is Mark 10:45. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 3, 16, and 17 and 18. God loved the world this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish forever, but live forever. It's why the Father sent the Son. And if you do not and will not believe in the Son, you're condemned already the gospel in a nutshell. Romans 4.25 is another one. Jesus died because of our sins and was raised to justify us. So many helpful passages. uh, Well, 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, but at the cross, the, the Father treated him as if he had committed every sin that I commit, that I ever have committed and will commit. Jesus was treated by God on the cross with the wrath that I deserved so that he would give me the righteousness that he had earned so that the Father would treat me as if I had done what Jesus did, living a perfect, righteous life. That's an amazing gospel in a nutshell passage. There are others, but here is one in Galatians 1, 1 through 5. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. You say, Pastor Kyle covered this last week. He did, but we're covering it again because it's that important. It's this important that we understand it. Jesus delivered us. We cannot, we do not deliver ourselves. We can't do it. Only Jesus gave himself for our sins to save us. Only, deli- only Jesus delivers us from this present evil age, not by anything we've done or could do or ever will do. It excludes any other attempt. Nothing that can be done. You know, even our nation, even our constitution cannot deliver us from this present evil age. And for some of us, that's hard to hear. You know, we depend on the Constitution to set this country right and to keep going in the right direction, and it should, but that's not where our hope lies. Our hope lies in Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave himself 
for us. And he's the one who was raised from the dead. That is God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus died, he was raised again by God, Acts 13.30 says, God raised him from the dead, and that was God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, He commands everyone everywhere to repent, Acts 17 says, because he's going to judge, and he gave assurance of that by raising Jesus from the dead. God approved of Jesus' sacrifice. There is no stamp of approval for our works, for our attempts to try to be saved And to save other people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only one acceptable to the Lord. To the Father. It's the only one that produced that verifiable proof of resurrection from the dead. So, the last thing that Paul points out in this gospel in a nutshell. Is that Jesus was not the nice one who saved us from the mean, angry God who was ready to get us. It's not like God the Father was the bloodthirsty one and he had the rifle pointed at us and Jesus came and smacked the rifle away and saved us from the Father. He says this was all according to the will of the Father. So God the Father willed that we would be saved. Jesus Christ the Son won our salvation and the God the Holy Spirit worked out our salvation in us. He doesn't have that part in this gospel in a nutshell. That's why it's just a nutshell. But all of it happened because God wanted it to happen. The Father willed for us to be saved. Jesus worked it out, or, or won that salvation. The Holy Spirit works it out. That salvation alone is what Paul says brings us grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in this gospel in a nutshell, the ultimate desired result is accomplished. Glory forever to God. It's a gospel in a nutshell. And it's so important because the people in Galatia, as we can do, as we've been talking about, can get the gospel wrong. Paul takes the time right at the beginning of this letter to spell this out. Because here's the rub. Here's where it gets it. It flies in the face of everything our hearts and minds want in our flesh. It leads to all the distortions that we invent. I don't want to have to have Jesus do it for me. Right? I want to be able to do it. That's the American spirit. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you get it done, right? I don't want somebody else to have to do it. I don't want to think I'm a sinner. You know, Jesus gave himself for our sins. I mean, that's, a, that's a mean thing to say about me. I'm a pretty good person. I'm all, you know, I'm all right by myself. I don't want to have to think I'm a sinner. I don't want to have to be delivered from this present evil age. In fact, it's not all that bad. It's pretty fun if you just, you know, give yourself a little involved. Jesus dying and then God raising him from the dead. Because that means it'd be so important my life should be different. <laughs> that he would have control over my life. I don't want any of this. I don't want grace and peace from Jesus and, and God the Father. I can do it myself. Right? I'll just go sit on my couch and have plenty of peace. <laughs> Get away from all the troubles of the world. I don't want God to have the glory forever. I want to have glory. I want to have attention. I want to get the credit. All of those excuses get to the heart of the problem for why and how we twist the gospel. All of those 16 ways that we talked about a couple of of weeks ago, the reason that we get to those is because of those, those things that are going on in our heart and our mind. The heart of the problem is the problem of our heart. And when we follow our heart in all of its deceitfulness and rebellion against God and the persuasion that we can just have it all ourselves, we quickly turn away from the true gospel. That's when we start distorting it because of what's happening in our hearts and minds. 
That's why Paul rehearses this for us. That's why Paul addresses the gospel right at the beginning. And then what it requires in verses 6 through 10, our passage this morning. The gospel is not anything goes. The true gospel is not up to you or to me to invent it or decipher or discover it. He's given it to us plainly and clearly throughout his word. So what does it require? What does the gospel require if it's not just anything goes and whatever I want it to be? According to verses 6 through 10, the true gospel requires three elements. The first one, number one, in verses 6 and 7, the true gospel requires entirely singular devotion. Entirely singular devotion. Paul jumps right out of the gate here, confronting them on turning from the gospel. Now, we've mentioned this a few times now, but Paul does not jump right out of the gate here saying, I'm so thankful for you guys. (laughs) I thank God always for you. It's so noteworthy. It just jumps off the page. Listen, it's not because they were struggling with things. Paul doesn't leave out the thankfulness because they were struggling with things. If you're younger here, you need to hear that struggling is good. Questioning is good. Asking questions, trying to figure out, wondering, asking Being curious, those are good things. Fighting sin, struggling, those are all good things. The Corinthian church, have you looked at the Corinthian church? Have you looked at what they were known for? Some of them were just dividing themselves into following celebrity pastors. I am of the Apostle Paul. Oh yeah? Well, I am of the great preacher Apollos. Really? Well, I'm of the original Apostle Peter. And they would follow these different celebrity pastors instead of uniting in Christ. They were suing each other left and right. They were engaging in all kinds of sexual immorality. They were like, eh, doesn't matter. It's all outside the body. Doesn't doesn't matter. Doesn't count for anything. Some were forbidding marriage. Some were getting divorces for any reason. Some were eating food sacrificed to idols. Some were engaging in that idol worship. Others were just eating the food and saying, I don't care if it causes you to stumble. I'm going to eat it anyway because I can do whatever I want. They had feminists who were rising up in the church trying to take charge. They had rich people cutting in lines trying to eat all the good food, leaving scraps for the poor people and calling it the Lord's Supper. The Corinthian church had people with gifts of tongues and they were lording it over everybody else who had lesser gifts in their mind. They had people doubting there was even such a thing as a resurrection. That church, the Corinthian church, had a lot of problems. There was a lot going on. We didn't even cover all of the problems that they had. Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. When you look at the Galatian churches, the only thing they were getting wrong, apparently, was they were adding some works to the gospel. That's it. But instead of thankfulness, Paul Paul's down curses on people bringing that into the church. You know, if if people had stood outside and they said, look, there's the Corinthian church, and here are all the Galatians churches, they would say, well, obviously we can tell who's really saved. That Corinthian church is a mess. It's the Galatian churches. They were really good people. They're trying really hard to be good people, right? They're trying to obey the law. They're trying to fulfill all of God's commandments. They're doing really well. (laughs) But Paul doesn't say, I thank God for you Galatian churches, He's going to, like we said, he's going to call down curses on the people in the churches. And the only thing they're getting wrong, apparently, is adding works to the gospel. 
So again, brothers and sisters, keep this in mind, especially younger people and those who are working with our younger people, Canyon Kids and Student Ministries. It's not a problem to ask questions. It's not a problem to struggle, to to wonder, to try to figure out things. It's not struggling that's the problem. In fact, struggling is part of the Christian life. What it means to be a Christian, we're struggling here. We know this verse in Ephesians 6.12, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Sometimes we put a period right there. We say, okay, we're not wrestling, we're not struggling. But Paul has a whole list of things we do struggle with and we do struggle against. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. <laughs> we're not struggling with flesh and blood, but we got a whole lot of other things that we're struggling with. The Christian life is a life of struggle, and we're going to continue to struggle until the Lord brings us home to glory. It's part of the reason to look forward to going home, right? The Christian life is a life of struggle. So with the Corinthians, Paul was thankful for them because they were struggling against all of that. The Galatians weren't struggling at all. They were just running headlong right into this false gospel, and they're falling all over, them, all over themselves, trying to do what will save them, trying to be what they can't be. The problem isn't the questioning, brothers and sisters. It's not the wondering, the asking. The problem is when we settle for the wrong answers, when we grow stubborn in them so that even when the gospel is brought, even when the word of God is brought to our mind and heart, we say, no, I don't believe that. I still believe in this settled answer that I came up with, that I found some other way. And then when we start spreading it, it's not the questioning, it's, it's not the struggling, it's the settling, the stubbornness, and the spreading when we get those wrong. The authority for the truth is not myself. The authority is not you or me. The, the truth doesn't rest in you or in me, but here in the Word of God. And even if I can't fully comprehend every part of it, even if I can't explain to you how God can become man in Jesus... Even if I can't explain to you how three in one makes one God, my trust is not in my ability to comprehend and work all of that out. My trust is in God who knows all of it and is everything. My ability to comprehend, my capacity to intellectually work out everything, that's not where my hope is. That's not where my trust is. It's in the God who already has it all worked out and he's revealed this. Some people get frustrated with that. They say, look, there's there's questions. I can't figure them out. I can't work them out. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can get my answers. I can get my questions answered. And they go and they search and they find out that there is no philosophy or religion or belief system, secular or otherwise, in the world that doesn't have unanswerable questions. There is nothing out there that can answer every question that we have to our own satisfaction so that our finite minds can understand eternity, God, creation. That's why God tells us in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. God's got it all. He understands it all. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The things that God has told us make sense. When we study his word, it forms a cohesive view of the world, worldview, so we can understand ourselves, we can understand God, we can understand why we need to be saved what we need to be saved from, who saves us, it tells us the truth. And even if we can't fathom and work out every part of it, God's got it all, so we trust in him. 
So again, it's not the questions. It's not that the Galatians were struggling. It's not that they were asking questions. Is this right? Is this the way it is? No, the problem was they had settled on it. They were being stubborn in it, and they were spreading it to one another, all the lies. So Paul hears about the state of the Galatian churches, and immediately he gets to work writing this epistle, this letter. It's urgent, and he's exasperated. He's frustrated. What is going on? He's not out of control because man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. But brothers and sisters, when you read Galatians, don't read it monotone. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. (laughs) He says, I'm surprised at you. I'm shocked. What is happening here? The original word is astonished. This Greek word, it's to be in a state of wonder. It can be either positive or negative. It's the word throughout the, the Gospels in the positive sense. When the people saw Jesus do a miracle, they were, they were astonished. Whoa, I can't believe what I just saw. Matthew eight twenty seven. the men marveled saying, what kind of guy is this? The winds and the sea obey him. Whoa. Matthew nine thirty three. the crowds marveled when the mute, demon-possessed man started speaking. He was in his right mind. They said, never was anything seen like this in Israel. They were astonished. They were, what? Complete shock and surprise. This context is negative. They're falling for a twisted, distorted gospel. But that's, he's surprised about that, but what he's really shocked about, what's really got him, is that how fast they have fallen for it, how quickly. The time between receiving and accepting the truth and the time of abandoning it for something else was so short, it's like Paul thought he saw a miracle, but not in a good way. Not a good miracle. So quickly. And it was in such a committed way. Again, they're falling all over themselves, trying to do every part of this. Every, everything that these Judaizers are teaching them and telling them, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And they're just they're running into it. The word deserting here means to intentionally affect a change of location with the implication that the two locations couldn't be more different. Okay, so like you were in a rainforest jungle and now you're in the Arctic Tundra. <laughs> you were in, better probably, this is better, you were in the paradise of truth and you've just thrown yourselves into a volcano. What are you doing? The word desertion is also used from military service, those who just leave. You're, you're deserters. You're des- deserting him who called you, Paul says. You, you are within the hearing range of the one who calls you in the grace of Christ. The grace and peace that only comes can only come from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. You took off to turn to a different gospel. And because the gospel that you were turning from is full of grace, what you're turning to is absolutely devoid of grace. You're not turning to something with any real grace. It's significantly different. You don't have a whole bunch of different good options to choose from. There's only one true gospel as we sing, as we say, as we pray, as we thank God for. But you are turning to something else. Paul says, it's not me you're turning from. It's not, it's not a, a bunch of facts. You're turning from Jesus and from the God who calls you in the grace of Jesus. You can understand why Paul is so flabbergasted. That's a fun word to say, right? Flabbergasted. That's a, that's a word for him here because of the gospel that they're turning from. The word gospel means good news. It's it's the good news. In some languages, they paraphrase it as the news that causes joy, that causes the heart to be sweet. 
That's the gospel, the good news. But the gospel, the good news that causes joy and makes our hearts sweet, starts with really awful, terrible news, our bad condition before the gospel. If the truth of our condition before the gospel is that, you know, we're, we're okay people, we're, we're pretty good, we're good at doing some good things, we just need a little help sometimes. If that's what our state is before the gospel, uh, then the good news, the gospel, could be kind of pretty good news, you know, that God helps us sometimes. Okay, if we've convinced ourselves that we're doing really, you know, better than we really are, uh, then it's kind of pretty good news that God helps us once in a while. But that doesn't bring God the ultimate highest glory forever. It would just bring him a little bit of glory because he kind of helps sometimes. He's just doing what we're already doing, you know, by ourselves. But more than that, it flies directly in the face of the truth of what God tells us about our condition before the gospel. The truth is, verse 4, we are sinful. God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Sin is lawlessness. It is rebellion against God constantly and continually. Sin kills us spiritually so that we are spiritually dead. Here's what word Romans 3.12 uses of us. Worthless. That's a bad word, isn't it? Sin causes us to be in sin, spiritually dead, worthless. We deserve his eternal wrath in hell forever. We deserve for God to stop giving us sunshine and rain and food and clothing and house. We deserve for him to vaporize us immediately and send us to hell forever. That's what the Bible teaches about our condition before the good news. So the good news isn't some little bit of help from God sometimes. The gospel is that God saved us from his own wrath by his grace in Jesus Christ not because he saw something in us that was worthy, as if we are better than other people. Those of us who are saved, oh, God saw something in me and it made him want to, to save me. We, we don't say that. that. That means that people who aren't saved aren't worthy? That, mean that, that means that God doesn't see anything good in them? No, that's not the truth at all. That's not, the, that's not what we are without the gospel. He decided to help us. The good news is, despite the fact that we were his very enemies, constantly trying to steal his glory, consistently challenging his authority, constantly choosing against God, even all the good things we did were disgusting in his holy sight. Despite all of that... God made us alive by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the faith that he gave us. <laughs> That's the good news, that we're not still stuck in that awful, terrible condition of sin. It's a distinctive and singular and exclusive gospel. It cannot be changed in any way. Nothing mixed in, nothing taken out. If I gave you a glass of water, I said, look, here's a glass of water, and it only has a little bit of poison in it, <laughs> would you drink the water with a little bit of poison in it? No, because a little bit of poison will still kill you, right? I give you this glass of water, I say, look, here's some water, but I'm going to remove, what's water made of? H2O, two hydrogen, one oxygen, right? I'll give you a glass of water, but I've taken the hydrogen out. You've got liquid oxygen. That's rocket fuel, <laughs> You can't drink that. Okay, well, I'll give you the glass of water. I'll take the oxygen and leave the hydrogen. Again, rocket fuel. <laughs> Nothing can be removed for it to still be the gospel. Nothing can be mixed in. Why on God's green earth are you taking yourself out of that gospel? It's the only true one, Paul says. You're hearing and receiving this gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, and you're running off into some other rocket fuel gospel. 
some random, foreign, different good news gospel that it isn't even good news, how could you fall for it? And how could you fall for it so quickly? Problem again in verse 7 is that it's not real. Whatever you're falling for, what, whatever kind of false gospel, twisted gospel, it isn't the real one. And if there's anything else that presents itself as good news that helps you or saves you or replaces this one, it's not real. We kind of intellectually grasp that, right? We, we, okay, we understand. There's only one, and, and they were falling for a wrong one. But we've been talking about how we can easily fall for the 16 different ones we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The 5,000 different ones, Pastor Kyle said, that we could count uh, from the ways that we can twist and fall for the wrong gospel. The problem was the, the people in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, didn't feel like they were turning to a different gospel. They didn't think they were. They were craftily being led away and believing it was the right way. The Judaizers, again, they were popular. They were famous. They looked really holy. They were convincing. They didn't come to the churches saying, look, we got a different gospel. Follow us to hell. <laughs> right? They brought it in secretly. They brought it in craftily, and the people started following them, and they didn't even know that they were being led astray. Brothers and sisters, these churches had the apostle Paul himself preaching to them the gospel. They had him writing to them. He had his associates there with him. Brothers and sisters, if they can fall for a twisted gospel so quickly, what makes us think that we can just hold fast to the true gospel so easily and not fall for anything just as well, just as quickly as these people, these brothers and sisters did in Galatia. We need to watch out for false gospels, the ones that we invent in our own heart and mind when we start twisting it ourselves, when our heart says, well, glory for God is good, but glory for me is kind of good too. <laughs> Sinful things, yeah, that was, you know, once upon a time, but we're beyond that now. We don't have to talk about sin anymore. We can just talk about goodness and positive. All of the different ways, that, the things that happen in our heart and mind that cause us to twist the gospel. Paul says, there, these people, there are some who are among you who trouble you. This troubling, the, the word trouble means to agitate, to terrify, to affect grief and anxiety. They're distressing and disturbing you at the deepest level. How do they do that? By distorting. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. To distort means to turn something into something else, to convert it into something else. Um, we have this old wooden ammo box at our house that we picked up from an antique store. It's really old, ugly wood, but in a cool way, right? <laughs> it's, it's an antique thing. It's not really antique, but it's old. It's, and it used to hold ammunition. It was really actually, it's a big enough box. It, it held smoke warheads for rockets. It's this old wooden box. It's really cool. We've taken it and we've hung it up in our bathroom to hold toilet paper. <laughs> How's that for a twisting of something, right? For, for using it completely different from what it was used for originally. That's what we do. That's what the Galatians were doing when they twist and distort the gospel into something else. You take the gospel that's so beautiful, it's not of this world, and you twist it and distort it into something that this world can recognize and this world is okay with. You take the sin out. You take the judgment out. You only do the positive. You only do what feels right, what feels good. That's what we do. That's how we do it. That's how the, the Judaizers were doing it. The world can appreciate this. The world can accept this because you've twisted it. People have done it to the word of God from the beginning when Satan asked Eve, did God really say? 
Noah preached, the people at Babel, you know, we'll get to God on our own. We don't care what God says. We'll just build a tower high enough to get, it's happened from the beginning. It all gets twisted quickly, distorted and destroyed in our own minds. Paul says that's what they want to do because all of those heart reasons we talked about, and when they do that, when, they, when they're successful at twisting it, they disturb you, they trouble you. When you lose the firm foundation of God's truth from God's word in God's gospel, the natural response is to become troubled. What have I got to hold on to? If I've got a different gospel that's not firmly grounded on the truth of God's word, it's not firmly just held fast by Jesus himself, of course I'm going to be troubled. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be concerned, worried, distressed. It's going to bring division rather than unity. It's not going to bring grace and peace from God. It sets you adrift in the ocean of the world's ideas, and it will eventually drown us. That's what people wanted to do to the Galatian, uh, to the Galatian churches by twisting, distorting the gospel. They wanted to twist it. Now, the key is, of course, that you cannot twist. You cannot ever take away the gospel. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. Amen? That will never change. But as soon as you attempt to distort or twist it, you've got a different one, and immediately it ceases to be the good news, the gospel. It becomes a different one. So the true gospel requires entirely singular devotion. That's the first requirement of the, of the gospel that the gospel brings to us in our lives, entirely singular devotion. Number two, the true gospel requires eternally significant consequences for distortion. Eternally significant consequences, verses 8 and 9. Now there are two parts here. There's an exaggerated, ridiculous suggestion, and then there's the reality of the current situation. We're going to see in both cases the consequences are the same. The almost impossible suggestion is in verse 8. Paul says, even if I were to show up at your church on Sunday, me and all the guys who came with me, even if we walked in the door of your church on Sunday and we gave you a different gospel, or if you saw an angel from heaven, the very purpose of angels is to hear from God and give directly messages from God to us. Even if you heard, saw this angel from heaven or if we came into your church Sunday and we had a different gospel, don't believe it. doesn't matter who brings it. With all the authority of the capital A apostle, <laughs> Paul, never mind anyone else coming as an apostle. You don't listen. Some angel. You've already been given the gospel of God. You've already been given the true, pure gospel. You don't need another one because there is no other one. This is it. And anybody, if someone comes in with the highest authority and they bring a different one, not only is their message false, Paul says, the person is false, worthy of being accursed. The word accursed is anathema. It means devoted to destruction. You're bound up. You're unable to be released. Paul says any other gospel that somebody believes and preaches makes them worthy and deserving of going straight to hell. This is serious, isn't it? That is where every other gospel will lead, straight to hell. There's only one that leads us to heaven. Now, Paul's not being, people accuse Paul of being just really sinfully angry here, really malicious. You know, he's being a hateful person, but he's not being hateful. He's speaking the truth. 
If you believe any other gospel that replaces the true one, you're not saved from your sins. Two of the scariest verses that I read in the gospels. Every time I read them, I I stop and it catches my breath. Jesus is talking in John 8. He says, you will die in your sin in verse 21. Verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the worst news to hear. If Paul or an angel from heaven brings a different gospel, don't believe it. It only leads to hell for any who believe it and any who bring it. But this isn't all just hypothetical. Paul's not going to bring them a false gospel. They're not going to see an angel from heaven, from God's throne room, come to them with a different angel. That's all just, it's hypothetical, right? It's, it's, it's a ridiculous suggestion. But verse 9 brings reality crashing through the glass wall of self-delusion. Here it comes. He said, as we've said before, now, so now we say again. He said it when he was with them. He's just said it now. He repeats it for a third time. Now it's concrete. Now it's actually happening. Paul wouldn't do it. An angel wouldn't do it. But there are people among you who are preaching a different gospel. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now it's specific and it's personal. These people... Paul is wrong, and there is another way. If Paul has got it all wrong, and he's been lying to them and to us, if there's another way, then Paul's just being a really angry, rude man. He's just being the get-off-my-lawn guy, right? (laughs) But this is a pastor who cares for the sheep, God's sheep, as a sheep himself. He's hearing about how wolves are coming in, and spiritually, they're ripping off their limbs, tearing their flesh, killing them, and consuming these sheep with their false teachings. So Paul doesn't, again, he doesn't come in with a measured approach and say, let's, let's find some common ground here, guys. When it comes to the gospel, there is no common ground with anything this world has or says or does. It's oil and water. It's black and white. It's truth and error. Only one gospel saves mankind from sin and eternal death, and every other gospel leads straight to it, no matter what it claims. So the person who brings any other message that causes other people to believe something other than the gospel, it leads people to hell, and they deserve to go to hell who bring it. There are eternally significant consequences to distorting the gospel. The true gospel requires entirely significant devotion and eternally significant consequences. Number three, as we wrap up verse 10, the true gospel requires earnestly steadfast servants earnestly steadfast servants. Paul says, with, with all that we've just covered, does it really sound like I've got a gospel message that just means to please man? With all that heavy weight of verses 8 and 9, does it sound like I'm just trying to please man? Does it sound like he's trying to win friends and influence people? He's not trying to please people. He's not after applause and celebrity and fame. He's trying to bring God's true message to the people who need to hear it. If he's trying to please people and bring a message that's pleasing to man's ears, he's not going to be talking about hell forever. He's not going to be talking about cursing. And who would be his master? If you're trying to please man, man is your master. Man, who's made in the image of God, makes for a terrible God. Paul says his master is God. So to please his master, he's going to remain steadfast in the message that he was given. It's the message of Christ, who is Paul's Lord, No matter what man wants to hear, what pleases people, those who have the true gospel must be faithful to bring the true gospel. So verse 10 is kind of like a, how do you like them apples? (laughs) 
you know, if, if you think I'm trying to be a man pleaser, if you think I'm trying to get this gospel that makes people happy, how do you like that? Okay. Let's bring it home this morning. We've talked about 16 different ways. Pastor Kyle mentioned there, there could be like 5,000 different ways we twist the gospel. There are as many ways to distort the gospel as there are people in the world times minutes in the day. I mean, that's how many different ways we can twist the gospel. But let's consider one that we may not have thought about. With all the importance of making sure we preach and teach and share with other people the true, pure gospel, we may step back a little bit and start to think, well, maybe it's just better if I don't share the gospel. I don't want to get it wrong. I, I, I don't want to be worthy of anathema, those curses that Paul was talking about. That leads us to a way that we can distort the gospel. We can distort the gospel when we don't share it. Jesus' last words were not, when he was on earth before he left, they were not, believe the gospel. Those were his first words, and his first words carry through forever, okay? Those are valid. You need to believe the gospel. I need to believe. We need to believe the gospel. But his final words also carry through to the end, go and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so he commands us to teach people to observe all that he's commanded. We are disobedient to the gospel. We have twisted the gospel when we think, I don't have to share it. I don't know how to share it. I can't share it. Acts 2, Peter was preaching the gospel. He called for the proper response in verse 38. But in verse 39, he says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, the gospel is not the true gospel if we keep it to ourselves. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So then he says in chapter 10, how can they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's what, our, that's what our job is. That's what our role is to bring the gospel to other people. This pure, true one. Even with all the sin stuff? Yes. Because the grace of God covers all of that awful, terrible, negative sin stuff. It covers and changes and brings holiness and joy and grace and peace and hope. Our application this morning is uh, we're going to examine the gospel that we believed. Think back to what the gospel was that you believed. When you came to the Lord for the first time and you said, I'm a Christian, what message was it? Was it this true, pure gospel? Next, examine the gospel you believe now. Am I believing the true, pure gospel as Paul lays it out here in the Scriptures, as, as God has inspired it for us in all the gospel in the nutshell passages, in all of the nutshell passages put together in, in a glorious uh, meal of depth, of truth, and love? Is that the gospel that I believe now? Um, God's not going to hold it against us if... if you know, we didn't understand everything the first time we heard the gospel. If we missed parts of it, if we didn't fully comprehend all that there is to know about the gospel, he's, he's merciful, he's gracious, he understands that, that we fall short in our understanding. The man on the cross next to Jesus didn't understand hardly anything at all, except that Jesus had done nothing wrong, and I have. And he's suffering to take my place. Jesus, will you remember me? <laughs> 
But the gospel that you believe now, the gospel that you believe five minutes from now, the gospel you believe on Tuesday and on Thursday night and on Saturday, what is the good news? What are you putting your trust in? Examine that gospel and believe and share the true gospel. Believe and share the true gospel. There are so many false gospels out there that people are believing. They need the truth. We need to be sharing the truth with our own minds and hearts. People talk about how funny it is to talk to yourself. (laughs) I think that it's wrong to listen to ourselves too much. (laughs) We need to be talking to ourselves. We need to be talking to ourselves about this gospel, reminding ourselves of Galatians 2.16, reminding ourselves of Galatians 2.20 that we'll start memorizing in in a couple of weeks, reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel that Jesus is all. Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. We can't fix ourselves. We can't do anything on our own that pleases God. Father, we praise you and we thank you, God, for who you are. God, we thank you for your truth. God, thank you that one day you will judge and you will judge righteously in in fairness, in justice. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are righteous and perfect in all your ways. God, we praise you and thank you this morning that because of Jesus, we won't face your judgment. Only because of Jesus, God, we have hope of glory with you. We have peace with you and with one another, God, because of our Savior Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, as we sang earlier, rejoice in that. Father, that our hope would be placed in that truth the truth of your love to us through Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that that would be real to us every minute of the day. God, we'd not take for granted all of that. That we'd not take for granted Jesus and his his suffering, his humiliation, his death, his resurrection. God, that he's praying for us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to understand, to recognize, Lord, to rest in the truth, your hope. God, give us the words to share with those around us. Give us the confidence and the boldness, Lord. As we prayed earlier, the gentleness and the respect to share this truth. God, this is truth that we need to hear and the world needs to hear. God, I pray that you would make this real in us, that we would speak it and live it because of the the worthiness of Jesus. We ask this in his precious and holy name. Amen.